There was a gentleman who tried all sorts of online dating things, and none of them seemed to work. He just seemed to not be able to connect with anyone everywhere. So he remembered an old-fashioned way. It was called the Lonely Hearts Club. So he took a picture and he mailed it to them and said that he was lonely and he was interested in finding someone. And he waited anxiously in the snail mail for something to come back. Finally, a package arrived at his home and he opened it up and inside was a letter. And the letter simply stated, I'm sorry, but none of us are that lonely. You know, loneliness, abandonment, to be forsaken. There's something that's deep within us, in the human existence, that all of us at one time or another have felt that loneliness in our lives. And I think it's something that's deep within us because it comes from the very beginning of our existence in the garden in the fall. That we were made to dwell in community. We were made to dwell with the Almighty God. We were meant to be in fellowship. And the stain of sin broke that forever in us. It's something that we fear to be totally alone, to be rejected, to be cast out. It's something so deep within us because within us still lies this desire to be restored to the side of the one who loved us from eternity. You know, many have written about loneliness. There are songs about loneliness. There are even poems. And I want to share with you this morning one somewhat dark poem that talks about being forsaken. There will be no consolation prize. This time the bone is broken clean. No baptism, no reprise, and no sweet taste of victory. All the stars have fallen from the sky and everything else in between. The moon has gone to sleep. Forsaken. 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 Here I am inside a hotel choking on a million words that I said. Empty. With a burned hole in my heart and all my dreams are penniless. Here I am longing for arms around me. I'm all dried out. Whisper to me sweetly now and tell me that I will never die forsaken, forsaken, forsaken. Here I am hoping that some kindness will lead past this blindness and that not another living soul will ever have to feel forsaken, forsaken. Forsaken. It is an incredibly bleak picture. But even as bleak as that picture is from the perspective of that poet, it is nowhere near as bleak as it was, as empty, as lonely, and as forsaken as our Lord was on the cross that day. He had withstood in the two days that he had to endure such suffering betrayal from a friend. Arrests and trials, mockery, cruel, unconceivable beatings, blood loss. He was nailed to a cross where they took spikes to drive through his hands and his feet, suffocating, dehydrating in the heat of the sun on the cross, breathing, gasping for air. But at this moment, 
at this time in his ordeal, in his passion. Now he is feeling the full weight of the sin that was not his, that he took on for you and me. He is feeling hell. Hell itself. You know, we've talked before about hell, that hell is not a place that God sends you willingly. It is a place of choice that someone makes because they say to God, I don't want you. I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want anything you have to give me. Leave me alone. And God honors that request and does not foist upon you anything, but lets you be what you want to be utterly and totally alone in that darkness. And so it is that Jesus this day is understanding and feeling hell because God is not there. God has turned his back on his own son because his son bears sin. The holy God cannot look upon sin. He cannot be in the presence of it. And all the wrath and the punishment is being poured out on him right now. You know, in Jesus' six-hour ordeal on the cross, he spoke to his Father three times. First, at the beginning, when he said the words of absolution, for all of us forever, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. At the very end, when he, unlike you and me, who possessed his Spirit, who was in control of his Spirit, said, Father, Into your hands I commend my spirit. But at this point when he cried out, he no longer said, Father, for he could not see his loving Father's face, but cried out instead in the words of the psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of my anguish. My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And unlike anyone else who will ever be in hell, who will be forsaken by God because of their choice, Jesus is forsaken because of our choice, not his own. I want you to think about it for a minute. Think about the sin that so easily comes upon us in our lives, even if we were just to simply focus on the Ten Commandments, on what they say that we are to love God above all else and serve Him. That Jesus is there paying the price for every time you and I have raised ourselves above God, have sought what we wanted out of life, have loved us more than God of every time that some spoiled child, whether young or adult, yelled out, I hate you to their parents to disobey them, of every murder that we've committed when we've had hate in our own hearts, of every adultery we've done with lust in our hearts as we've looked at someone, of everything we've stolen from someone else, whether we've done it or whether we've thought it, of the fact of when we've gossiped and slandered, Or when in our wonderful society that every time we are presented with something on the TV and advertising that wants us to have more and more and more in our lives, it is Jesus who now is paying the price for every time that you and I felt 
or committed one of those atrocities. It is not his sin. It is our sin. And he is forsaken. You know, someone once said that there are three things that sin does to us. First of all, sin desecrates us, makes us filthy. And so we see Jesus on the cross dying as a criminal between other criminals, desecrated, the Holy One of Israel, treated like someone who had broken the law. That sin separates us. And Isaiah says, your iniquities have separated you from God. And so Jesus is separated from his Father, from the bosom of his Father, from the one from all eternity that he has been in communion and love and the Trinity who dwells in a relationship of love. Jesus is separated and finally, sin isolates us. Jesus is cut off and forsaken. The scriptures say in Isaiah, he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. You know, God is not angry this day with his son, but he is angry at the sin that his son has taken on that is not his by ownership, that is his by adapting it to himself in order that you and I might be free. You know, God offers to us two things in this life. Wrath for sin if we choose the choice of saying, I don't want what you have to offer, I'm not interested. Or the unconditional love of grace that comes to us as Jesus calls us and enfolds us in his mercy and love. It's said that Luther pondered this passage of Scripture for more than four hours, staying motionless, silent, as he looked at these words. And finally, at the end of the time, he said the following, God forsaking God. No person can fully understand what is happening in this moment. This surely is the cup that Jesus prayed about in Gethsemane that will not pass from him. The cup of wrath that is poured out on him. And he is forsaken. What loneliness. What emptiness. What horror he felt in this moment. To cry out in those words in such a way that God had left him, that he was alone to deal with your and my sin in order that we might be free. You and I will never know this kind of loneliness in our lives because of what Jesus did on the cross this day. Because God has promised you and I that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never forsake us as he did that son, his son on the cross as Jesus paid for that sin. And all the horror of the cross and the blood and the gore and the suffering was made present. So all of us turned away to leave him alone to fight the battle that you and I could never fight. What an ugly, dark 
seen it is. But oh, what a prize it bought for you and me. You know, there was a story of a young couple who was on their honeymoon, and they happened to take a cruise in order to celebrate that. As they were placed at dinner at a table, as you often are at a cruise with other people, they happened to be seated at the table for dinner their first night out with a young, beautiful woman and a man in a wheelchair who was just horribly disfigured and scarred. As they ate and they glanced up at the man, it just really turned them off so much that they couldn't finish their dinner and they finally left the table. They didn't return the next morning for breakfast or that afternoon for lunch. And later in the afternoon, as they were sitting on a deck somewhere, they saw that young woman come by. And she stopped to say, well, we missed you at breakfast and lunch today. And they kind of just stared at her. She said, I think I know maybe what's wrong. You see, the man that I'm sitting with at the table who is scarred and broken, that's my father. Many years ago, we lived together in a house and there was a fire. And my father was able to get out, but my mother and I were still trapped inside. He fought against the fireman's barricade and broke through and entered back into the burning house. He found me and saved me and dragged me out and then went back in to find my mother. But it was too late. She was already lost. You see, he bears the scars, the scars of ugliness that to me show his love and commitment. You see, he really is a beautiful person that I hope you get to know. Well, later that evening, they joined the table for dinner. Now, hearing the story and looking at this man, the young bride was moved to tears and she stood up and walked across the table and kissed the man on the cheek. She said, truly, you are a beautiful person. You know, Michael Card began the book study that we are in, in his introduction, to say that the ugliness and the horror of the cross is something that seems to be missing nowadays for much of our Christian community. That it's just too horrible to look at what Jesus did. It's just not appealing anymore to the masses. It's something that we don't want to talk about. But the horror and the ugliness and the emptiness and the loneliness of the cross is the beauty that brings to you and I once again salvation that washes over us with forgiveness and love all over again. That as Jesus dies for sin and the scriptures say that we too might die for sin, it is the very thing that means we will not die in sin. That as Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You and I too may cry, my God, my God, why have you not forsaken me? The beauty of the cross on which the Prince of Glory died to give us life, to give us forgiveness, forsaken by God where he emptied the punishment that you and I should have taken for all that we have ever done or will do. But it was placed on him who knew no sin, 
who was innocent of all the charges that day, and yet who bore that pain and wrath so that we might be free. He was truly forsaken that you and I would never be rejected. That is the promise that we have received. That I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. That I am with you to the very close of the age. That I am bound to you through the waters of your baptism, committed to you to give you grace upon grace, forgiveness upon forgiveness, to lift you up from the brokenness and emptiness of life that you might never know how I was forsaken on the cross for the sin that was not mine. Truly, we have been blessed. Truly, our Lord in His suffering won for us a prize that we can still not even imagine and a grace and a love that surrounds us every moment that we live. In the cross of Christ, we glory. May it always be so. Amen.